What is going on, everybody? I'm Mike Hughes, and you're listening to Mike on the Mic. Today, I'm sitting with my childhood hero and the biggest thug on the ice, Doug the Thug Smith. You know him as Doug the Thug Glatt from the movie Goon back in the day. Doug, thank you for being on the show today. It is an honor. It is a privilege. How are you, brother? Mike, I appreciate being here. I'm, everything's going well on my end. Love that. Love that. Now, if you don't know about Doug, Doug was an enforcer in the minor leagues for hockey for... Um, for about, I would say, eight to ten years, if I'm not mistaken, on and off, Doug was definitely one of the best in the game for a long period of time. You know him from the movie Goon. We're going to be getting into that today. Um, first thing I just wanted to ask, you know, there's a lot of differences from the movie and your life. I read your book. I read everything about you. Um, I was always a big fan. And then when I watched the movie, um, it's a lot different. So if you could explain, like, I know how it is, but if you could explain to everybody the differences between, you know, um, I know you don't have a gay brother, and I know, you know, the guy that plays your best friend, actually, you know, he's not, you know, the tiny little scrawny white guy. He's actually a bodybuilder, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yeah. Um, so, of course, the book that was written was an autobiography. And for those people that have never seen my book or read it, it was put together by one of my best friends, Adam Fratazio. He's a kid that I grew up in my neighborhood, and Adam had a journalistic background. And to get people up to speed... I never played hockey as a kid growing up. In fact, I didn't start skating until I was 19 years old. And that was just on a pond in my area. I grew up in the uh, Boston, Massachusetts area. and um, But I had an amateur boxing background. So I had been a boxer for you know the most of my junior high and high school years. And my buddy Adam, he actually did play hockey. And, and he was really into hockey fights. Like we would watch hockey games at night specifically for fights. And I know that's kind of crazy to say, but that's kind of the way it was back in the 1980s. You know, fighting was huge in hockey, and every team had a tough guy or multiple tough guys. And Adam always had this crazy dream that, you know, Doug has a fighting, boxing background, and if we could ever get him on the ice to learn how to skate, maybe he could use that to be like a minor league tough guy. And again, it was really Adam's focus and drive that pushed me into achieving what I was able to achieve, which was go from a pawn to professional hockey in literally less than four years. Right. And it's a big part of what I wanted to talk to you about as well, because growing up in Massachusetts, you know, you know, a lot of this, I wanted to talk to you about the hockey aspect and everything going on with that. But for you, what really got you into boxing? What really got you in, you know, to the sport? Because there's a lot of things that go into that. I know it's a, it, growing up in Massachusetts in the 60s through 80s. I mean, it's a tough, if it, it's a tough go. I mean, kids are up. So I just wanted to ask you what life was like in Massachusetts growing up. So I, I grew up in Quincy, Massachusetts, um, which is a city just south of Boston. And when I was about 15 or so, I moved down to Hanover, which is more of the South Shore area for those who are familiar with the area. And it was a little more country. Um, but my boxing really evolved through my father. My father was actually a paid sparring partner for some pros back in the 60s before he even got married to my mother. And so he was always a boxer. And uh, I just kind of learned as I was a kid growing up. And from there, I was able to get into some gyms and kind of refine what he had taught me, which brought me into a lot of different tournaments, like, say, the New England Golden Gloves and stuff like that. So boxing was something that was around our household for a long time. That's awesome, man. And what I wanted to also ask you about is, you know, the actual hockey aspect of things and for you you know 
I know you loved fighting. I know it was a huge part right. of all of it. But how much of hockey, like, would you say, you know, did you enjoy when you actually started, you know, when you were trying to work your way up into playing for a normal uh, period of time? Right. You know what? To be honest with you, hockey, the game itself, wasn't even a goal. The goal was to learn balance on my skates so that I could specifically fight. And that was it. Because I knew that there was a back door to get into in pro hockey as a fighter. And I've said it before. I mean, you could suck at playing hockey, but you could find a job somewhere in the minor leagues as an insurance policy on a bench for a team that needs a tough guy to protect his players. And um, and that's what I did. I kind of snuck in the back door. And, uh, you know, I still had to do the job. You can't just say you're going to fight another team's tough guy and be the, your team's protector. I mean, you got to show up. you got to do the job that you say you're going to do. But, um, you know, to answer your question, I, I wasn't concerned about carrying the puck and shooting on net and scoring goals. That wasn't my angle. That wasn't the way I was going to make it into pro hockey. Right, and I think that's an amazing, like, way to think about it. You just applied your skills and tried to develop them as far as you could go. You didn't try to do the most. But one thing I really wanted to ask you is, you know, the movie itself really makes you seem like it was just a phenomenal story. You know, the guy beats somebody up during a fight and he gets on on the team and then he just climbs the ranks. But for you, was there like a challenge when you went up against guys? Was there, I know, like I read your book and all of that, but like for the people listening, you know, were there fights that didn't go your way in the beginning? Was there a lot of like challenges and struggles entering a league like that? Right. I mean, every league that I played in, I was trying to make it as a tough guy. I was trying to make it as a fighter. And of course, you're only going to go after the other team's tough guys to make that name and that reputation solidify. And believe me, there were many, many fights in the beginning that I lost. But I think because of my willingness to keep doing it, I was never discouraged. I kept my nose to the grindstone and I kept working hard. And again, you know, I had a boxing background. So you know, I was used to maybe not getting the decision or getting the knockout for a win. And every time I would lose a hockey fight, specifically a hockey fight, I would just consider it like losing round one. And I'm right. going to play the same game tomorrow night or a week later against the same dude that I just fought. And I'm going to give it a go again. And that's going to be round two. And eventually I'm going to get my way with that guy, hopefully anyway. And, you know, you, you learn as you go, which is a hard way to learn. But, you know, you can quickly learn if someone's a righty or a lefty and you can try to, you know, base your first experience with this particular opponent going towards your second, uh, you know, chance with this guy. And so that's how I looked at it. I, again, I, I lost plenty at the beginning. I certainly did. But, uh, you know, the other thing, too, is I'm fighting guys that are at a professional hockey level. Right. I'm just fighting some banana head on the hockey pond in my town that just wants to have a go i mean i'm fighting guys that are legitimately a step away from making it to the nhl so i already knew i was way behind the curve i already knew i had a really tough climb up the hill to get where i wanted to go but again i had the opportunity to get there through hard work and i had to make the most of it win or lose right and I guess that this follows up to that. You know, I read your book, like I said, and, you know, you never really specifically mentioned it. It kind of just seemed like you were along for the ride as far as it could take you. But for you making the NHL, you know, because it was like nowadays you wouldn't really see that because, you know, the game has changed. And I'm not trying to be a dick, but it's a lot. 
it's a lot softer now than it was with you. And I'm, that's no offense to any current players, but right. they would not stand a chance with you or any of them from back in the day. But my point is to you, it was the goal making the NHL or was it just to have fun and just go as far as you could with this? Because potentially you could have definitely made it. Well, the goal, right. And I agree with you. The goal really at the beginning was so simple just to get on the ice with my friends at home and have a Friday night skate on a rental ice or, again, go out on a pond and have fun with my buddies. Right. It only a value, you know, it only, um, you know, it, it escalated through Adam, again, my friend Adam, when we were able to, I would say, only a couple of months being on the ice together, learning how to keep my balance. And once I kind of established that, and I think I was only fortunate because I was athletic, you know, I, like I said, I, I had a, a, a sports background. Right. But um, when I was able to learn my balance, it was kind of at that time where we started to realize that, you know, between keeping your balance and not falling down and the willingness to fight and knowing how to fight, being able to throw with both hands and I can take a punch and I, I've got some sp- special ingredients here that I can all mix together. Um, it probably was a year later that I really started to work towards the chance of getting a tryout in the minor leagues. And I would contact teams. I would reach out to coaches. I would reach out to GMs and I would try to sell myself with basically zero resume, but try to tell teams that, you know, I'm willing to fight if you don't have a guy that would fight for your team and be a protector and um so to answer your question when we first got into it it wasn't about making it to pro hockey it was just about having fun right um i did come very close to making it to the nhl i actually had a call from a team through a friend who was a scout that i might get a game in the nhl for a particular team on friday night and i'm getting this call from this scout and it's like Tuesday or Wednesday, and he says, I think you're going to get the call-up. I think you're going to get to play for this particular team, and you're going to get a game in the NHL. It fell through. That team's tough guy who was out injured was cleared to play the day before, but at least my name was mentioned. It was brought up, and I couldn't even believe that. So to go from a pond, I made it as high as the American Hockey League, which is basically considered the second best hockey league in the league in the world. And then to be considered for at least one game in the NHL, I mean, for me, that's really huge. That's that's definitely a huge step, and and you probably made it farther than ninety nine point nine percent of the other goons out there. But <laughs> right. You mentioned the book, and I have it right here. Um, it's actually a really funny story. It's kind of crazy, and you know, I, I don't mean to get all mushy with you, but. Me and my dad, when I was little, I wasn't allowed to watch the movie. I wasn't allowed to read the right, book. Right. Um, but I would always sneak downstairs and we'd always watch it and, and watch your highlights and stuff like that. And it was crazy because the year after he passed away, my mom bought me this book on eBay. You know, like it was completely random, had no idea. Um, and then so I'm like 15 years old at the time. And I opened this up and it's signed to Mike. And, and it's from you and Adam. And it's it's one of the craziest things. I don't know, like, who you gave this to or who you wrote it for, but it's signed by you and Adam. And I just thought that was, like, the craziest thing. So when you said that you were willing to come on this show, it was, like, it was like full circle. It was the craziest thing in the world. But my question for you um, about the book, you know, I know Adam did have background with sports stuff and, and did know a lot of people, but how long did this book not only take to be written, but a big part of it is, like, 
to get it out there? Because I know, you know, yeah. you probably gave it to a bunch of people to try to pick it up. So how did that process work? You know, Adam really struggled for a, a solid two years trying to put everything together. Adam really took a different approach to this book. You know, if, if for those, again, who haven't seen the book, um, there's a lot of quotes from guys that I fought. And that took a lot of research. It took a lot of time for Adam to find all these guys that I fought. Because back when I did play, I kept a little journal. And not only did I keep a journal, but I did talk to Adam constantly every game I played. I would call him the night after or the next morning and say, hey, I just played in this game and I fought this particular guy and I lost or I won. And and we just always knew who I was playing and who I was fighting because we kept kind of a log. So Adam spent forever, it seems, researching all these people. Where are they today? And do you remember Doug Smith? And do you remember right. playing against him? And do you remember the fight? Here's the way Doug recalls it. How do you recall it? Trying to give each story and each fight a legitimate life and not just one side of opinion. And I thought that was an incredible, smart move by Adam. Right. You know, like I said, to do all that legwork. And uh, he was really successful in getting in touch with almost everybody. It, some of the quotes are crazy. But, um, again, Adam had a journalistic background. He was able to tie the book in together, I'd say, within two years. And then he basically just said, I'm going to get in touch with every publishing company that will at least take a portion of the book and review it. And we lucked out. A company called Publish America decided we'll take a chance on this book, and they published it. And it really took off. I mean, as a lot of people know, there's a – well, maybe not today, but there used to be a huge underworld of hockey fight fans. People just love hockey fights. They buy hockey fight tapes, VHS, DVDs, YouTube. You can find right. fights everywhere. And this book just happened to take off. And we were very fortunate. And if I'm not mistaken, I'm not trying to toot your own horn, but Wayne Gretzky's book didn't do as good as your own book did. And he's the greatest to ever do it, which I just think is insane on, especially what you're saying, the underground of hockey fights. You know, there's lacrosse fights, boxing fights, all these underground worlds of just guys who just want to see people get ripped to shreds. I mean, to to be one of the number one hockey books in selling, I mean, that's an amazing accomplishment. And one thing, though, I really wish I could have, like, read in the book, and I bet a lot of people as well, you know, we talk about the fights and you talk about all of them, but we never really got to hear you say what your favorite fights were. So I was wondering, like, are there any specific fights that to this day you remember, whether you won or lost? So I'm not saying I'm the sharpest knife in the draw, but I literally can remember every fight I ever had on the pro level because I really didn't have that many. They were very sporadic. And, you know, I try to explain to people, listen, I played basically over a seven, eight year period, but it wasn't continuously. You know, I would play one game, three games, two games. I'd bounce around different teams. You know, I was kind of like a hired gun. I'd come in for a weekend and play for a team that needed a tough guy because maybe their tough guy was suspended or injured. And I would just be filling in. And then I'd go home after the weekend. That would be it. So, I mean... For me to recall all my fights, I really can recall them all. And I know which ones I won, and I certainly know which ones I lost. But honestly, they were all memorable to me because, again, I was somewhere where I didn't belong. And I was living a dream. Right. That's awesome. But so for the people that don't know, like for you, 
you say that you didn't play every single game. You weren't there all the time. It was kind of just like, you know, a night or a night or two before they'd call you up and ask you to be at point A or point B at a certain time. What did you do when you weren't doing that? How did you make a living? Uh, you know, I did odd jobs. You know, I, I worked at the door at different bars, being like a doorman. And I worked at a gym, just, you know, doing things around the gym. I mean, I just did odd jobs. I didn't have a career job at the time. Um, today, I'm a cop. I'm a, I'm a police officer nice. in a small town south of Boston. But back then, you know, I was just kind of twirling around in the wind. And um, I spent a lot of my days training. You know, I'd still go skate public skating or pickup hockey or shinny hockey to stay on the ice because I just kept thinking that I might get a call tomorrow. So I better be in shape. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I just kept chasing that dream. So, you know, those are I, I did enough to get by and put a buck in my pocket, but I certainly wasn't, you know, banking, bankrolling big dough. Right. Well, first, I just want to say, like, thank you for being a police officer. I know it's really hard in today's day and age. A lot of people have a lot of different opinions, but I know it's a sacrifice and you're just trying to do what's best for you and everybody else. So thank you for that. Um, also, I wanted to ask, you know, it's a weird question because I didn't know how I was going to approach it, but I just kind of want to ask it. Goon 2, the movie, um, you know, obviously, if you watched it, it was it wasn't as the same as it, you know, the first one was. It was a lot different. Um, but I wanted to ask you, like, what was Goon Two really about? Was that just them taking their own take on things? Um, and and like, did they, you know, call you about that? Did they? Do they have to ask for your permission? How does that all work for the movie business? You know, uh, both movies, as a, as a matter of fact, I, I had nothing to do with writing the script. They had their own team of writers. They had their own people that put it together, whether it was Jay Baruchel and, you know, and, and, and guys like that. Um, you know, I did some consultation, a little bit anyway, on the first movie. You know, they would ask me questions. You know, they would say, what would you do in this scenario? Like, how would you get this guy to fight you? What would you say to him? Or give us an idea. What's it like, you know, on a bus ride? What do you do on the weekends? What do you do, like, during the week? Give us, you know, stuff like that. So I kind of give them a little insight. But uh, they basically had their own script for both movies. And um, I'm not going to say I liked or disliked one over the other. I mean, will I, will I say I wish they were a little bit more realistic? Of course I do. Right. But, uh, but I understand why they went the road they did because they need something to sell. So they went with a comedy. And, um, you know, I know we joked earlier, you know, I don't uh, have a Jewish brother or I don't like corn dogs or I didn't go to my – pro training camp and you know double runner white women's figure skates it's all fun stuff though and and i get that so i can live with it <laughs> yeah i mean it was they're amazing movies i'm not bashing them by any means no, i still I watch you. them from I time you. to time but like when i watched the second one i go you know like compared to your book story i was like you know this never happened like this was never <laughs> a thing. so i was like did they have to ask you about that did they have to say are you okay with us expanding the story Right. But um, that definitely all makes sense. And one thing, you know, a lot of the fans don't understand is throughout the book, I realized you were more of a goon than a protector. And in the movie, you were protecting, uh, I forget, it, uh, it was like Xavier Laflamme or whatever his name was. For you, though, um, and for people who don't know, being a protector or being a goon, what was your number one priority when you were being coached throughout those eight years? Were you a protector, you know, for, you know, star players that, we're going to be in the NHL one day? Or were you more focused on your game and just, you know, get in the fights? I would have to say that I was mainly focused on being the team's protector. I mean, they were calling me in for a reason. 
and they don't want anyone on their team to get hurt. And it wasn't so much for me to be selfish and get a fight. It was more to make sure that my team was protected. And there were were games that I sat on the bench and never got a shift because nobody on the other team acted up. Or there wasn't a tough guy who was running around that needed his ass kicked. So there were nights where I never touched the ice. But again, I was there like for an insurance policy. And so, you know, I always had my team's best interest. That's where I, you know, was going to make my mock as. Um, You know, we use the term goon for the book cover as kind of a grabber. Right. I I didn't consider myself a goon. I mean, when I think of a goon, I think of a guy that really maliciously goes out to try to intentionally hurt somebody, you know, cross-check someone in the back of the head, spears them in the balls, you know, something crazy. That wasn't my gig. You know, I was just a straight-up, drop-the-glove, square-off, toe-to-toe, arm's length out, may the best man win, punch out. That was my style. Right. And um, so, again, an enforcer, a protector, I was certainly one of those guys, yes. Yeah, and that's that's a big part of the movie that I was fond of because um, his name was Ross the Boss Ray. You know, that is a goon in my eyes. That I've played sports, I kind of was a goon for a little bit, and it, and one of those guys who just try to you know get on your get on your bad side and just you know chop at you and say whatever you got to say to get it done. That was what a goon was to me. I liked the way they um, used you in the movie because it kind of feel it felt like you. You know, you were protecting people and you were doing what was best for your team. And it felt more real, realer than, you know, some of the other characters throughout the movie. But I guess my next question for you is, um, you know, you meet a lot of people, you meet a lot of people playing all those years. And we, we like to talk about the guys you beat the shit out of or guys you had problems with, but who were some people, you know, you might still talk to today that, you know, you really grew a bond with playing over these years. You know, I was really fortunate as a player to meet, of course, tons of guys, but, I would have to say I met more players and and more real tough guys as an employee of the NHL because after my playing days, I was lucky enough to get a part-time job with the Boston Bruins where I was basically in the American League in Providence with their farm team and I was on the ice with players trying to teach them how to defend themselves. And I always knew from my boxing background that I would make a better trainer than I would an actual fighter, just because I started so late, like I said earlier. And I really wasn't a true super heavyweight, like stats-wise. You know, 6'2", 250. I mean, it sounds like a big guy, but in reality, the guys I physically fought were 6'6", 6'7". You know, they're real big dudes. Right. So, like I said, I always knew I would be a better coach, a better teacher to try to show these really incredible athletes how to become a better fighter. So I would have to say that through my years of jumping around from various NHL teams, like I said, being a coach um, is where I really got to meet some of the best guys ever. And I mean, you can just imagine anyone that filtered through the Bruins organization, you know, through the 2000s, you know, I got to meet almost every one of them and they're all incredible guys, you know, you know, I do kind of want to ask you, and I know you might, uh, I don't know exactly how long you were with the Bruins, but did you ever get a chance to talk to Chara? You know what? I never got to talk with Chara, and I never got on the ice with him. Again, mainly I worked down in Providence, where right. he never was. He was always an NHLer. Um, I kind of worked with guys that were in their first couple of years, and they made it up eventually. 
And um, but a guy like Chara, I mean, boy, it would be incredible to get on the ice with him because you know, look at him—he's a monster, right? Oh, and, um, and if he really wanted to be the heavyweight champion of the league, he probably could have been. But he was more of a hockey player, and he'll tell you that himself. I mean, I've, I've read his stories, I've, I've heard his quotes. I mean, he fights only out of necessity to be the team's protector, so to speak. When someone gets bullied, he steps up, but he's not out there looking for it. Definitely. But you have to. You have to. You. I'm sure you would totally agree that any other team's fighter is going after him just for size alone. Oh, definitely. One of the biggest things. Uh, I'm a Blackhawks fan, so obviously we got a little issues over here. But one of the biggest things. I got his jersey up over here too. Andrew Shaw. Andrew Shaw wanted a piece of uh, Chara so bad in the 2013 playoffs, and you know. As much as I love him, I was kind of like, just please don't. Like, you saw so many times you see guys whack at him at his ankles, at his knees. Yeah. Um, it's just one of those things where, and, and it ties into my question for you next is, at what point during your career did you notice guys, or if they were, were starting to come after you because of how much successful you were starting to get and how much of a kind of a noise that you were bringing into the league? Yeah. Um, let me first real quickly say, because you're a Blackhawks fan, um, I also remember another Blackhawks player who challenged Chara and got beat up pretty damn good. His name was David Kochi. Yeah. And, and I love David Kochi because he was a real good, tough guy. Yeah. But I think Chara just got the best of him that particular night. I think it was oh, in definitely. Boston to cut him real bad. Uh, but again, that's what happens. Tough guys go after the big guy, regardless of if he really wants to fight or not. They make right. him so he kind of gets forced into it. Um, but anyway, you know what? Truthfully, I didn't have a lot of guys challenge me, and I'll tell you why. It was simple. No one knew me. I was new. I didn't have a lot of fights. I didn't have a lot of exposure. I didn't have a resume to fall back on. So I had to go out, and I had to get my own fights. I had to find that tough guy, and I had to challenge him. And believe me, a lot of nights, the other team's tough guy would be looking at me going, who the hell are you? You know, where did you play? Where are you from? I've never seen you before. And um, so for them to challenge me didn't happen often because, again, I wasn't out there running around like a madman causing a scene where they had to step up and do their job. I had to find them. And um, I always felt like if I didn't find them and get my fight that I was brought in for, I could be going home quicker than I'd want to go home. Definitely, definitely. And you also mentioned a bunch of things about the league and how it was for you throughout those eight years. Um, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, your family hated it because the movies interpret it that way. And they say that they didn't love it. But you also mentioned, you know, your father was a boxer. Your father was amazing at that. So for you, you know, I kind of wanted just to hear your side of things. Like how supportive was your family of this dream? Did they and did they go to games? Um, stuff like that. You know, my father was kind of against it for a little while because, again, he had a fighting background. and He totally could understand how easy it would be to get hurt. And it wasn't like I was going in the boxing ring to be, say, a pro boxer where I have had experience. You know, I'm going into a, a totally new field where I've got no experience. And, I mean, let's face it, hockey fighting, you don't wear gloves. You don't wear headgear. You're not protected whatsoever. You're fighting with bare fists, and, and you could really get hurt bad and quickly, whether it's a concussion or stitches and bloody noses and broken teeth. So there's a lot going on there. My father was a little apprehensive at first. Um, but I think once he realized that uh, I had worked so hard and I had gotten a shot to play pro hockey from basically nowhere, he really absorbed it. And 
they never got to see any of my games because they weren't close to my house and they were all far away. And some of them, were, you know, I played for a season in Canada. I mean, they weren't going to travel to Canada. It was just kind of the way it was. Right. But, you know, thankfully there was video and, and stuff like that where I could send home tapes and game tapes and have them cut from the team the next day and say, hey, can you give me my fight that I had last night? And I could send them home. So they were getting to see me, just not live. Right. And, you know, you do mention the side of injuries and the side of, you know, head trauma that happens with hockey. There are guys, you know, I love Daniel Carcillo. He was huge for the Blackhawks. Car bomb, one of the best to do it. Um, but you see that guys are starting to get injuries now, like long term. And Daniel Carcillo is a part of the Chapter 5 Foundation that, you know, helps deal with CTE and stuff like that. And if you were comfortable talking about that, I just wanted, you know, your take on things. How you feel about it now, knowing what, you know, we're starting to realize now about the traumatic injuries that happen. And if you've had any experiences with that. You know, I've been fortunate. I mean, I guess maybe I've been fortunate because I didn't play that long or long enough to absorb those type of punches regularly. But, I mean, geez, I mean, there's plenty of NHL guys alone that are really suffering. And, um, you know, I mean, I feel bad for all of them because no one wants to be in that state. No one wants to be in that condition. You know, when you retire – you know, those are supposed to be the glory days. You live off your past reputation and, and you know, and you, you know, and you've earned that because you were, say, a fan favorite. And, you know, every teammate you ever had loved you for stepping up and, and saving their asses when it needed to be done. But, you know, I mean, there's so many guys right now. I mean, look at the Sheriff Parker, right? He's a great guy. Right. You know, he's got some injuries and he's got some issues. And I can name I can name 50 guys. Never mind the number of people that took their own lives. There's a lot of guys that committed suicide or they overdosed on painkillers unintentionally right. trying to fight trying to fight the pain they were going through. And I mean, so it's really it's a tough thing. And I I can understand why the NHL is trying to I'm not gonna say eliminate fighting, but really put a dent in it. Right. I see that they're trying to prevent any further injuries, but then again, the game has always policed itself. So for me personally, it's tough for me to watch them try to put a screaming halt to all this. And that's that's kind of what my like next point was for you. It was, you know, I know you haven't experienced anything, you know, major uh, to the to those levels. And you know, I God, I pray you never do. Um, but for you, would you do it all over again if you could? And and would you change anything? And what do you think about the future of hockey? I know you said you know you're you're not against it, but you're not really for canceling out the enforcer role and, and and it's one of those things where you know i mean i'm gonna be quite honest i haven't really seen a good fight in the nhl since i was probably like 10 years old like a great one you know what i mean yeah. and do you ever think it'll ever go back to that do you think we'll ever see something like that or do you think eventually you know like you said it's just going to get eliminated i think it's going to get eliminated i hate to say that too although the players are getting bigger and stronger Physically, you know, they're really hammering each other. But the fighting aspect, I think, is going to get eliminated to the point where, you know, if you fight, you get suspended. Or if you fight, you get kicked out of the game type of thing. There'll, right. be, no more, there'll be no more allowance for it. Um, you know, they've already implemented, of course, the instigator rule. Uh, we've got shields and stuff like that. Guys are still fighting with shields on. But, um, you know, it's not going to take too much longer before the NHL, I think, is going to just squash the whole thing. Um, but with that said, 
I mean, if I knew back when I was in my early teenage years that I could sneak into pro hockey as a fighter, you bet your ass I would have skated a lot sooner than 19 years old. Right. Because that's probably the one thing that kept me back from maybe cracking that lineup was I wasn't that good of a skater. And, um, you know, my willingness to fight, it was observed by plenty of coaches and GMs, but you need to bring more to make it up to that level. And it wasn't like I was falling down when I went out onto the ice and I looked like a complete embarrassment to the team. But, you know, I wasn't keeping up with guys on the NHL level when it comes to skating. And you do, whether you're a tough guy or not. So I think um, I would do it all over again, yes. Um, I would go through the hard work every single day that I dedicated myself to in that three years to make that jump that I did from a pawn to the pros. But, uh, yeah, I certainly would have tried a little sooner if I knew I could get a backdoor entry. Definitely. And I don't want to keep it for too long. I just got a couple more questions for you. Um, one of my next big questions is really your childhood, what that was like. And we and we kind of got into it a little bit. But, like, for you, what did you see yourself as growing up? Because I know a lot of kids, you know, the dream is being a hockey player. But for you, it, wasn't, it didn't even really come across your mind until – Adam and all of them got you into that when you were in your later teens. So for you, what was what was the goal and where did you think you were going to be? You know what? I mean, you're right. I, I the, the whole hockey thing was definitely by accident. There's no two ways about that. But, you know, as a teenager growing up and going through high school, you know, I changed like the wind. I mean, one day I wanted to be a cowboy. The next day I wanted to be an astronaut. I mean, I didn't know what I was going to be. I was all over the place. and um, But I did have one kind of a grounded thought which would be, I want to be a cop. Right. And it was only because not only did I have an uncle who was a cop as I grew up, um, he was a motorcycle cop in the city of Quincy, and I always thought that was cool that he rode a motorcycle. And, um, and then, you know, when I moved from the city down to the country in Hanover, I started going to a gym called the Hanover Police Boys Club. And it was a gym that was basically run by cops. And you get to, you know... You get to mingle with guys who are coming in off their shift, going to have a quick workout. You know, you bench press next to a couple of cops or whatever, and you, you just get to know them. And I always thought it was cool just to get to know a cop out of uniform and, you know, the, the other side of what they could be like instead of this, you know, look of intimidation, right. uniform and a badge and a gun. And I just always thought in the back of my head, you know, I could see myself being a cop. And I, I kind of pursued that when hockey was kind of, you know, in a lull, when I really started to realize I'm not going to be an NHL fighter and I'm not going to be a minor league fighter forever. And uh, I started gearing my way towards that, taking some classes in college to get a degree if I could to help myself. And, uh, and that's what happened. I ended up being a motorcycle cop and I'm still there. I got a few more years to go before I can retire. Nice. Congrats, brother. But, um, my final question for you, and, and it's really, it ties into, you know, the future of you. And I know right now you're loving the cop life, but like you said, you know, you got a few more years until you retire. When you retire, do you see yourself coaching someone or coaching um, a team or even if it's not hockey, if it's boxing? Like what is next? What is the next step for Doug Smith? You know, I've had some uh, coaching experience. Uh, I coached my high school that I went to, Hanover High School. I was a coach there for 21 years. And I actually got inducted into the Massachusetts Hockey Hall of Fame. 
And I don't know if I would go back to coaching because I know how demanding it is that the schedule is really tough. I mean, you know, between practices and bus rides and games, hockey coaching is a, is a demanding sport for sure. Um, you know, but I could see myself staying involved with kids and teaching them, whether it's boxing or hockey, on some level for sure, because um, I enjoy it. And, um, you know, I feel like I'm in a position where, you know, I'm very grateful for what I have. You know, like we said before, it was certainly unannounced that I was going to be the celebrity that I am today. And I'm almost embarrassed to say that when I say it, but um, I try to use it in the most positive way I can, whether it's doing charity work, doing fundraisers, um, you know, meet and greets of, you know, like next week I have a schedule where I'm going to go skate with two different youth hockey teams, just skate around and they don't know me as Doug Smith. They think I'm Doug Glatt, you know, because they've all seen the movie. So, you know, I run with that stuff and and I think that's great. I, I really enjoy that. So I can certainly see myself, you know, riding this way for as long as I can. That's awesome, man. I, that's mad respect to you. I think that's amazing. Um, thank you for being on the show today. It's been an honor and a privilege. I wish you nothing but the best, brother. And I hope one day, you know, you can come back on the show and talk some more hockey. Mike, I appreciate the opportunity today. I really do. Thank you. All right, brother. I'll talk to you later. Hey, pal. Take care. You too.